1: Hello everyone and welcome to Fresh Take from What Fresh Hell, Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. This is Margaret. And this is Amy, and today we're talking to Lenore Scanese. She's the author of Free Range Kids: How Parents and Teachers Can Let Go and Let Grow, the second edition of which has just been released. The free range movement really got started 12 years ago after Lenore's newspaper column, Why I Let My Nine Year Old Ride the Subway Alone, created a media firestorm. I remember it <laughs> very well. <Okay. laughs> Now, Lenore is co-founder and president of Let Grow, the national nonprofit promoting childhood independence. And that nine-year-old, by the way, is now a gainfully employed and happy grown-up. Welcome, Lenore. Oh, thank you. What a nice intro.
2: (laughs) I was waiting for more. What else have I done?
1: (laughs) And then it stopped. (laughs) Did you have any idea, Lenore, when you wrote that article, what was coming, what you were starting?
2: I had no idea what was coming. All I do is write, 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 write. And then suddenly this one just, you know, like you said, caught fire.
0: Yeah. And give us just for people, we have people who are maybe have younger kids and Mm -hmm. did not experience this article (laughs) when it came out. I bet a lot of our listeners have heard free range kids understand it. But give us the kind of nickel tour, if you will, for people who've never heard the term free range kids before.
2: Oh, sure. So after I wrote the column about letting our son ride the subway. I ended up on all these TV shows and I got a lot of blowback and I got the nickname America's Worst Mom, which is kind of funny (laughs) if you're ever sitting next to somebody on a bus and you have nothing to say. It's like, hey, why don't you Google America's Worst Mom? What do you do for a living? Well, I'm America's Worst Mom. Yeah, really? What do you do? (laughs) Maybe we're the same. Anyway, so I started the Free Range Kids blog that weekend to explain I actually love safety. I'm a nervous mom. Nobody believes it. Uh, The only thing I'm not afraid of is apparently public transportation and strangers. but I love helmets and car seats and seat belts and mouth guards so I wanted to come up with a phrase that sort of explained I like sort of an old fashioned childhood where kids have more independence they get into scrapes they climb trees but I'm not crazy despite skenezi and crazy <laughs> rhyming which is like plagued me my entire life and so free range kids is really I don't know how old all your listeners are, obviously, but it's probably the way a lot of them
0: were raised. And probably even you guys. Did you walk to school? Absolutely. Yes, we like to call ourselves oldie locks on the podcast. <laughs> and we were raised at a time where we definitely were from that go to the woods, come back for dinner generation, for
1: sure. Yeah, there was a church on our corner. The church bells rang at 645 every night. Mm-hmm. And that was the signal, you know, the understood neighborhood signal that all the kids had to go home for dinner. And then you'd go back outside if it was a summertime and stay out until it was dark. And that was our like, I played Barbies for like four hours a day for seven years of my life in somebody's backyard that's what I did. It sounds pretty glorious. Did you like it? It was boring some days, but it was what we knew and it was what we did. And I certainly, I think, fended for myself sort of in terms of what my day was going to look like Mm -hmm. in a way that I see is much more complicated for kids today, I think.
2: And more complicated for us parents. Yeah. You know, I mean, if you really have to figure out how to get your kid from school to the play date to violin to, you know, home in time to do the reading log, that's a lot of strategizing. I mean, I just talking to some kids who were freshmen in high school now. I'd met them when they were sixth graders and I've encouraged them to do things on their own. And they were describing their Mother's Day as not not their Mother's Day holiday, <laughs> like their Mother's Day is like the parents would have to call several days in advance when they wanted to see a friend to make sure that the schedules were compliant and that the parents could get them over there. And it just sounds like so much work. The word play date, right? Wasn't even a thing back then. Play date, yes, yes. It used to be playing. And you know what? Parenting wasn't a thing either, right? It was you were a parent or a kid. Right. And you had your separate spheres. And I think that's what's so interesting about our modern era is that they overlap so much. And you know, I, I talk about being anxious all the time, kids being anxious, me being anxious, parents being anxious. And I think one of the unstated reasons, unexplored is that when you spend time with your kids, you see the crazy things they do. You see, oh, I wouldn't touch that. Don't do it that way. Hey, quit arguing. The more time you spend with them, it almost feels like the more time you feel you have to spend with them because you see them doing things suboptimally. They're not doing things like a middle-aged mom would do them. They're doing things in a crazy way or a weird new way. And so it feels like the more time we spend with them, the more time we feel we have to spend with them because they're not doing it our way, our perfect, smart, mature way.
0: I am having a free-range experience right now in that my oldest is at camp, at a scouting camp. Oh. And he struggles with certain things, and I keep getting reports on things he is doing, including, you know, making an arrow and shooting it, shooting a rifle, like... Mm -hmm every single thing that I see that he is engaged in, I would have put on the he is not capable of doing list. Mm -hmm. And it reminds me a lot of the sort of free range ideology of like, if you're there and determining what your kids can and can't do, you're going to limit them more than you'd probably need to. Yeah, I mean, you know, I hate talking about childhood in terms of studies, but studies show, you know, that when we're pro study on this
2: podcast, we're pro study. All right. Well, here's one, which is that kids move around more when we're not supervising them. Like when we're organizing a baseball game, and believe me, we had our kids in a lot of sports, it's less, they actually move less than when they're playing. Because when you're playing, you're trying to have fun, as opposed to when you're in an organized activity, somebody is telling you what to do. And oftentimes, there's a lot of waiting involved. And so it's really cool. I mean, like one of our slogans now at Let Grow, I have to say, we do keep changing our slogans. But one of them is when adults step back, kids step up. And that sort of sounds like what's happening with your son at camp.
1: Yes. I want to ask about that. A follow-up question, though, because Mm -hmm. my kids go to sleepaway camp, too. And having that sort of parent-free, phone-free experience, I think, is Mm a gift to kids these days. However, we're I'm creating it by, you know, arranging for them to go to sleepaway camp, which is (laughs) not cheap, and which is a ton of structure. It's just structure that's palatable to them because there's an 18 year old boy watching them instead of me. Mm -hmm. But it's not just go out and play and come back when it's dark. Is that I guess when I ask, is that even possible these days when nobody else is doing it? Like just go figure it out this summer instead of go to this other highly structured environment?
2: That's a great question and not just for summer. So having been on this one subject for 13 years now, as you pointed out, aging out of uh, momhood, you'd think, I realize that you're absolutely right. It is really hard to be the free-range mom in a neighborhood and you say to your kid, okay, go play. You know, you'll find your friends at the park and you won't. They won't find their friends at the park. And if the friends are at the park, they're in uniform playing a game that's organized by an adult. And so One, I just have to give a plug here, and everything I'm plugging is free, so it's not like I'm making money on it. But at Let Grow, we have an idea for schools called the Let Grow Play Club. You don't have to call it that, but that's what we call it, where the school stays open before or after school for free play. And there's an adult there because of legal reasons, and they're crouching in the corner with an EpiPen. <laughs> but basically, the kids are organizing their games, they're solving their spats, they're playing different ages mixed together. The kid who has no friends as a 10-year-old you know, is a hero to the 5-year-old because he gives them piggyback rides or something like that. So we're trying to approximate what you're talking about, which is your childhood, which I'm sure when you were running around your neighborhood, it wasn't only children who were exactly your age, right? Right. It was just the kids
1: who lived nearby. Right. It was all sorts of kids. Right.
2: Which happens to be how kids have played since the beginning of time, according to one of Let Grow's co-founders, is a guy named Peter Gray. And he said that when we take the age mixing out of childhood, which we do, you know, kids are in grades. And then when they're in their activities, often those are segregated by age, too. That's a weird kind of segregation. But when you have, you know, 12 year olds playing ball with 12 year olds, it's just who's the best. Right. Mm-hmm. Who throws the fastest ball? Who's, you know, gets the most hits? But if you have a 12-year-old and one of the kids on the team is, you know, there's some seven-year-olds and there's a six-year-old, they're going to have to throw the ball gently to that six-year-old because it doesn't make sense to be a jerk right, and wallop him. And in that calculating, that sort of social-emotional skill that's going on without the kid thinking about it, but throwing the ball gently is the beginnings of empathy and maturity, leadership. And then the six-year-old. You know, the six-year-old is surrounded by these gods, you know, amazing kids who are seven, but there's, you know, Colossus (laughs) is a 12-year-old who's willing to play with him. And so the six-year-old strikes out. And normally, if he's with his mom or with even another six-year-old, you might cry, right? Like, that wasn't fair. But you don't want to look like a baby to these cool kids. So you hold it together and you go to the back of the line and you wait your turn again. And that is the beginning of executive function. And, you know, I hate talking about play as therapy or as, you know, a a classroom situation where you're learning these particular skills. But the reason there's this play drive that you remember keeping you occupied for four hours in a row with just a Barbie doll, you know, or two or three
0: and maybe a Ken, but nobody will be like, Ken, you <laughs> know, <laughs> Ken, <laughs> poor Ken. Poor Ken. Wow. Ken's taking it on the chin today. <laughs> Who knew? Right. Anyways, the point being
2: that when you have kids and they're together and they're mixed ages and they're trying to come up with something to do, it's going to be messy. There's going to be hurt feelings. There's going to be dumb ideas. There's going to be minor risk taking. But all of that builds you into, i say, a functioning kid, you know, who can handle some fear and deal with some frustration.
0: I want to jump in even more on this idea of play, because I think there's so much we're confused about Mm -hmm. the concept of play. We're going to talk about that as soon as we come back.
1: Margaret, I've got a go-to baby shower gift that I give whenever there's another newborn in my life. Can you guess what it is? Amy, three guesses. First two don't count. It's Pampers Swaddler's.
0: Okay, we're back. And we're talking about play. And one of the things I feel like I have actually learned by doing this podcast is that we <laughs> sort of think of play as something that, oh, our kids play. It's something that they do. And we had Christina Martin from the children's school who talked about like how kids learn through play. And like the idea that kids kind of need to be led to play and that we have kind of pushed play out of kids' lives in a way is something that I don't think that everybody really understands. Can you talk a little bit about the role of play and what are some of the things that get in the way of that?
2: I can. And I have to start with a very strange analogy that was once given to me. And all kids have this desire to play, right? Can we agree on that, that all kids are sort of driven to play? Sure. And Mother Nature installed that drive. And the reason it's there is because you want to play so much that you are willing to do all the difficult things that get you to play, including my friend was. There's a playground in New York where parents aren't allowed. It's called the Adventure Playground. And there's a big sign that says, parents, your children do not need your supervision or assistance. You know, your children do not need your great ideas. Mm. And so my friend Camilo was outside of the playground, but then it was time to go. They'd been there two hours. And so he called his son over. He says, "Okay, you know, Adam or whatever his name is, time to go. And Adam says, oh, but Dad, we were just about to start a war. <laughs> and, you know, first of all, there's something great about play war, but we don't know how to go there. The, the great thing was that he had spent two hours that he was very engaged and completely absorbed, not even doing the playing part, right? They're figuring out who's done that, which team, how do you get to jail? How do you get out of jail? What's the free space? All this stuff. And that is really high functioning stuff. That is communication and it's cooperation and it's compromise, blah, bitty, blah, 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 look at a social emotional skill set and all of them were there. And if Camilo had been there and these kids had been, you know, bickering for 15 minutes or if I've been there, if you've been there, most likely would have said, OK, 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 let's just do this way. Right. You guys, count off by twos. And, you know, the odd numbers, you're going to this side, even numbers, you're going to this side, and the monkey bars is safe, and you get out of jail by tapping somebody three times. And I would have made this thing happen really fast, and you would have gotten to play, and we adults would think, okay, now they're playing. Thank God, they're not wasting their time. But what we don't realize is that, quote-unquote, wasted time, it's like the kernel around the wheat you know, we took out the whole wheat from bread and we said, oh, now we have nice white bread. It's like, turns out that that kernel around the wheat is what you need. You thought it was wasteful? It's what you need. It's what builds these strong bodies. And so when we say we're going to have our kids play and we're going to supervise them or we're going to assist them and we're going to teach them how to be social and we're sort of getting in the way of what is really formative about play. Fun is so great. (laughs) The kids will go through whatever it takes even two hours of negotiation to get there. And so on the way there, they are becoming really human. And Mother Nature put that drive in there so that they would become able to function in society. So when we are there, we're sort of interfering. Mm. And it, it surprises me to hear you say
1: that these kids were able to do this. Like I talk to my kids all the time about the wiffle ball rules. (laughs) What You know, like the playing in the backyard with the kids and like, was that in or out? Like, I'll give you this one. And then we get the next one. There are no parents. Mm -hmm. There are no refs. Mm -hmm. It's wiffle ball rules. And I kind of expected you to say like, well, kids today have no ability to do that. And we have to retrain them. But sounds like you're saying with as long as we step back, they do have this innate ability to figure things out for themselves. Yeah, we come down on top of it, but it is still there.
2: Yeah, well, so we've witnessed some of these play clubs at schools where once again, there's no teacher telling them how to play a game or organizing things for them. And Peter Gray, this evolutionary psychologist I work with actually worried about that same thing, like, will they be able to do it? You know, if you haven't grown up, you know, with the ever evolving kickball game in front of your house, you know, how do you know how to play it? And how do you know that, you know, how you decide, you know, rock, paper, scissors, if this is in or out, but What we noticed is the first week or two, it is a little self-conscious, you know, but kids often know a regular game that they've learned, you know, somewhere else like baseball or football from the outside world. And then they bring some of that in and then things just evolve. I mean, it is a really deep drive. All species play. I mean, There was somebody who studied it, and I don't know why, but ants play. Ants play at fighting and not A-U-N-T-S, like little tiny ants. I can't imagine how she studied it, but ants (laughs) play and gazelles play and frogs play. Everybody plays like a chasing game. And actually, I heard this one really neat thing once about evolution, which is that what are the things that we like to do as kids for play? We play tag, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Hide and go seek, right? Mm
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And then probably you built either a fort or a tent or a treehouse. Did you do that? Yep, for sure. Okay, so here's what's so cool. What did we have to do even before we were like Homo sapiens? <laughs> what did we have to do throughout evolutionary history? We had to
0: hide, 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 <laughs> <Right>? build shelter. <laughs> yeah. Uh huh. And seek. <laughs> what is tag? Hunt? Hunt. Yes. Isn't that
2: cool? It's really yeah. cool. Yeah. So that's a very deep drive. And I don't think we are taking it out of our kids permanently simply because we put them in after school, you know, ballet and chess four days a week. There's that fifth day a week. (laughs) Give them one day a week to play
0: and they will rise to the occasion. And let's take the other side of it so that people are listening and saying, well, my kid has a strong skill. We want to develop it. We want him to be in organized sports and he can find this time somewhere else. Or Mm -hmm. I think the other other side of it that I that (laughs) comes to my mind is that if you have a kid who struggles with play, who struggles with interaction Mm -hmm. and who you kind of feel like I sometimes feel for myself that this free play back in the olden days, we all took care of each other and played wiffle ball and it was awesome. I'm like, there were kids for whom that wasn't awesome, though, right? Like kids who were getting bullied in that situation, kids who were not finding their place in there, Mm -hmm. kids who were terrible at every sport, like
1: me. Me, me.
2: That's (laughs) why we all end up writers, (laughs) right? Yes. When they'd say, let's play wiffle ball, I was like, oh, no, wiffle ball. No, not the ball again. (laughs) Don't have the ball come at me. No, no, no. But then you go play Barbie. Yeah. Yeah. So first of all, I don't think play has to be that kind of play doesn't have to be a sport, for sure. Right. I mean, and also, I'm really pro free time. And free time is great for everybody who's struggling with anything. Because if you have time that you can spend on something you absolutely love, why did I spend so much of my childhood looking for four leaf clovers? What a stupid activity, although I do feel lucky. (laughs) But it was, you know, kids need some freedom. I mean, what we're talking about is not just play, we're talking about giving kids some time that isn't optimized for their amazing skill at something or other. right? And even if they do show skill at something or other, it doesn't have to automatically become, you know, the thing that's going to get them into Harvard. And, okay, she's great at drawing. Let's get her, you know, is Picasso available? (laughs) You know, can we have him come over and teach her and tutor her? So if you have some free time, it is a way to decompress from all that other pressure. And what we have seen in the play clubs is that, Sometimes there's a kid, there was this one kid who told me like, well, before play club, of course, I didn't have any friends and now blah, blah, blah. And this was an older kid who probably didn't have friends in his grade. Mm. But, you know, you can be the awkward kid who's either slow or maybe even too smart or whatever, just doesn't, is not on the same wavelength of the kids in your class. But on the playground, you find another awkward kid who's three years younger, Mm. you know, that's once again, the tyranny of just having kids your age, especially if it's just the kids in your class, and they've already decided that you're the oddball that nobody likes. So mix it up a little, give them a bigger C, uh, you know, more chances
0: to find a soulmate. Man, I love that point. That is something about kids of different ages playing together that like, my nine-year-old is notorious every time we're somewhere and she's like, I want you to come meet my friends. I'm like, it's going to be a 16-year-old boys and girls who are like, get this nine-year-old away from me. (laughs) But she loves hanging with the big kids. You know, it's something that if you don't have those opportunities, you don't think of that as being important. You know, I think one of the points of free range kids that I like so much is like, we spend sometimes looking in the wrong direction. Like, okay, stop just, you know, Playing it's time to get serious. It's right. like there is seriousness in play, and mm-hmm. realizing the value of like, we're just gonna go to the pool. you all figure it out together. we're the moms will be over here. Mm-hmm. There's so much value in that time. And I think we think of it as like, okay, this isn't the real time. The real time is getting back to school. I keep thinking that, you know,
2: so on the DNA strand, there's like those four letters, whatever they are, ATCG or whatever, and then there's all this like white space between them. And right now, everybody thinks that's stupid white space, you know, all that matters are those letters. And I have a feeling that eventually we're going to figure out that that white space is just as important as the letters. And I feel that same way about the free play thing. It's like, now they're not learning. Now they're getting a break from learning. It's like, no, no, no. Now they're learning how to organize a game. They're learning about democracy. They're learning about how to make a friend. They're learning about how to let things roll off them so that they can keep that friend
0: or keep the game going. And they're also learning in a increasingly virtual world, this is what a kid's face looks like when I say something mean to them. Mm, that's true. Yeah, that's a good point. This is what it feels like when someone's mean to me. This is the weird feeling I feel when there's a pack of people doing something that makes me uncomfortable and that those in-person experiences I've been really watching we're having a for reasons not entirely of my choosing a very free range summer Uh and like watching the kids kind of at at the pool. And there's a lot that goes on that is like animal behavior and social emotional stuff. And they're you think they're swimming, but there's so much more going on. Well, they are sort of swimming through life. But yeah, so that's why I think, I mean, it's cool that you get to watch them. You're
2: sort of an anthropologist at this point, it sounds like, seeing what is going on. You know, what is the child in the wild doing? But what's great is that you're not thinking, oh my God, it's getting too raucous, or oh my God, that kid looks out of place. There was once at one of the play clubs we were at, there was this kid who looked very sad, younger kid, all the kids were playing around them. And Peter, my cohort, was watching this kid and thinking, please, 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 no teachers, please don't come up to him and say, hey, buddy, you want to play with me? Mm. And thank God nobody did. Because then along came like a fourth or a fifth grade girl who sort of tagged him and then started running. And then he was running and they were both laughing. And instead of being pathetic kid so sad so lonely such a loser that an adult had to come over and try to jolly him along he was back to being a kid again so I'm really pleased that when you're watching this you know as much as you can and I'm not saying if anything got violent or physically horrible or whatever you shouldn't jump in but basically you just have to trust that this is an integral part of life and it's messy
1: I want to talk a little bit about the external threats, right? Like there's the bully in the playground and there is also the big bad world that can make it hard for us to give our kids independence.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And can we talk about that when we come back? Oh, I can't wait.
0: Amy, you know me well enough to know that my daily power breakfast is
1: while optimally hydrated. So whether you're looking to hydrate during your workout while traveling or at the end of a long night, sports research hydrate electrolytes have got you covered with over 65 trace minerals, seven essential vitamins and coconut water powder.
0: Crisp and refreshing without any sugar, this is hydration powered by Sports Research. Each box has 16 little stick packs that you can take on the go, whether you're headed to an exercise class, a night out with friends, or a podcasting conference. And did
1: we mention they come in delicious flavors from raspberry lemonade to cherry pomegranate. Stay hydrated with Sports Research Hydrate Electrolytes. Visit sportsresearch.com and use the code WHATFRESH at checkout for 50% off your purchase of Hydrate. That's
0: S P O R T S R E S E A R C H dot com, sportsresearch dot com, and use code WhatFresh for fifty percent off your Hydrate Electrolytes order. Okay, so when I hear free range kids,
1: I think of you know when I've read your book and heard you speak. There's a lot about how we as parents worry about the big bad wolf being around every corner at every bus stop, and that may or may not actually be the case. Can you talk about that? And also Mm -hmm. how this second edition of the book addresses what might have
2: changed since you first wrote the book? Oh, those are two big questions. Yeah. Let me first talk about The Big Bad Wolf. It's funny. I mean, Big Bad Wolf has obviously been around as long as Little Red Riding Hood, which is a story that apparently goes back to like 1400 China or something like that. (laughs) Anyways, what upsets me about our culture is the way it is relentless in finding the worst story of anyone, anywhere and presenting it to us. And it's this steady diet of the scariest, worst things. And of course, it impacts your psyche, right? I feel like my mom let me walk to school at age five back then with a crossing guard who was 10 back then because <laughs> they were actually allowed so much time. They were allowed the power of stopping traffic at age 10 with only a sash. So. It wasn't in her mind like thinking, well, this is risky, but I might as well do it because the odds are this. It just, we hadn't framed everyday life as a series of risks that we might regret for the rest of our existence. And that's sort of normal now to think of it that way. I mean, even people who are pro free range say, well, you know, there's the risk of diabetes if you stay at home in front of your computer versus playing outside where there's the risk of the man in the white van. And it's like, do we have to think of everything in terms of risk? or risk reward. I mean, there's, can we just sort of step back and almost be a little more grateful that we live in a time that is so safe compared to, I'm not talking about COVID, but besides from COVID, so safe compared to any time in human history. I mean, like Lincoln had four children, Abe himself, and three of them didn't make it to adulthood. I mean, that's how normal it was back then. I was just at the Mark Twain Museum. I mean, same sort of odds. And now we're so worried that something terrible will happen to our children between the house and the bus stop. It's just we have recalibrated our outlook to the point where we almost can't see anything good. All we concentrate is on that 0.000% that's bad and focus on it relentlessly. And it's making us really nervous. And it's making our kids nervous. And kid anxiety is really going up over the last couple of decades and depression too. And so I emphasize because I'm a nervous person to begin with. I cannot tell you, I barely had any sleep last night. I was worrying about my kid drives now. Oh, 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 how I'm so sorry. <laughs> yep. Sorry that cars were invented. I love the subway. Why can't he just get back on the subway and go wherever he wants to go? But that doesn't work. But my point is that you will never not be nervous. But the only thing that can change a parent's outlook and what their kid is ready for is behavior. And what I mean by that is I went around the country for 10 years with my free range kids book talking about, you know, how do we get so afraid for our kids? And don't you remember your own childhood? And don't you wish you could give it to your own kids? And everybody would like be cheering at the end. Yes, yes. And then they'd go home and they would, you know, supervise the reading log and make a healthy snack and get the kids to bed. And then the next morning it would be the same old routine. And so I came to realize that, like, you can't change behavior by changing minds. Mm. And so Let Grow's big initiative, and once again, free, 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 is what we call the Let Grow Project. And this is a school-wide or a class-wide project where the teacher gives the kid a homework assignment. Go home and do something new on your own without your parents. You can walk the dog, you can climb a tree, you can make dinner. If you're in a dangerous neighborhood, you can walk down the hall and visit grandma, you can babysit, just something new that you haven't done that you think you're ready for. And you talk about it with your parents. So it's not like, you know, I'm taking the, you know, Greyhound to Detroit tomorrow, mom. (laughs) So anyways, what's really cool is that once the kid does that, I'll tell you one kid, did decide to ride. He really wanted to ride his bike to school. He'd been asking his parents in third and fourth grade. Finally, he was in fifth grade. And along came the Let Grow Project. And so he got to say, can I do it for my Let Grow Project? Take my bike, you know, ride my bike to school. And the parents said, no, there's too much traffic. This is a Menlo Park. And they decided, but okay, you know, the teacher has said, you're supposed to do something on your own. You can ride your bike to your friend's house, which is much closer. And on a Saturday morning when there's not much traffic. And so the kid is really happy. Right. And he goes and he rides his bike and he never comes home. No joke. He comes home. (laughs) (laughs) I I undermine myself so much. Anyway, so he comes home and he's really happy and he's proud and his parents are proud, too. And there's something else going on there, which is not just like, yay, you know, you're blossoming. And it's not just, yay, you're alive. It's yay. I've raised a kid who's going to be okay. I mean, another basic drive in us parents is we have our kids adopted or whatever way we get them to continue on when we're not here. Right. It's all the idea of the next generation. And until you see your kid do something independently, all you know is that they're fine if you're there. And so I always used to wonder why are parents so thrilled? By what I think of as very small things that their kids do. Oh, my kid, you know, went outside and played for half an hour and then came in. Why does that excite them so much? And I think it is because it's the first time they realize, oh, I don't have to be there for everything. I'm raising this competent young person and not just, you know, an embryo or a bonsai tree or a bubble boy. I'm raising a real person who can exist in the real world. So I really say to all the parents who are nervous out there, I get it. I get it too much, unfortunately. I wish I was less nervous. But when you see your kid do something independently, it changes you. And when there's a whole class, all the third graders are doing it. The whole school, you know, Oak Ridge School is all doing it. You're not the crazy parent. All the parents are letting their kids do it. All the kids are comparing notes. What did you do? Oh, I packed my backpack. Oh, really? I got to walk to the bus stop. Oh, can I walk to the bus stop with you tomorrow? Well, I'll ask my mom. Sure. And it becomes normal again. All I'm trying to do is renormalize just a modicum of independence because without it, our kids are very anxious and our parents are very anxious and they need a reality check. And the only reality check is reality. Yeah. So you have
0: to see it to believe it, right? We talk a lot. One of the most frequent questions we get on the podcast is like, how do I develop my kid's self-esteem? And I feel like parents sometimes approach this, including myself, as if somewhere there is a hidden (laughs) box of self-esteem that it is your job to find. Right. (laughs) To locate. (laughs) And often we are trying to, you know, work on ourselves and put in people's paths Self esteem comes through the actions that your kids take that make them proud of themselves. Not, there is no like, they will get self esteem when they get the gold medal because they are the best at the thing that you have helped them be the best at. And I think that making it small, as small as bike riding, as small as being brave enough to try the game that everyone else is playing. Mm-hmm. That that's where it comes from. It's not, I feel like we've put self-esteem in this, like there is a hidden treasure that you've got to find and that we have to bring it all closer and smaller. I totally agree. And that's why, you know, 13 years, same topic, same trying
2: to crack this nut. And what we've come up with is really A way to give children free play in a place that parents trust, which is at the school, just after or before school, and a way to get parents to let go and let grow, which is the Let Grow Project, where everybody's doing it. You're not the nut. And, you know, when I, it's not even my idea. Somebody else invented this idea several years ago when she'd read Free Range Kids. And she just had her sixth graders do the Let Grow Project once. Okay. That's what I thought it was. And that's what's One of the things that has changed in this new book is that since other people have started doing it, they changed it. One teacher had her kids do it 20 times in a year, and it was her seventh graders. And the reason she decided to have them do the project at all was because she had never seen a class as anxious as the 247th graders she had when she started doing this project, which was, I think, two or three years ago. And she called me because she said one of the kids had come late to class one day, and it was lunchtime, and the kid hadn't had a chance to get her lunch. And so the teacher, Jody said, OK, well, just go to the cafeteria and, you know, I don't care. You can come a little late. And the kid said, by myself.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That surprises me zero.
2: <laughs> it does. Yeah. It shocked me so much the first time. It doesn't surprise me now. Yeah.
1: I mean, I'm not it's saying it's good, but it, yeah, that, that sounds like, yeah, I'm not surprised that, that kid was like, cannot do that. Yeah. That's the problem, yeah. right?
2: Yeah. So I've had just a delightful time getting to know that particular class and then meeting with them a year later after they've been doing the project. And it's just neat to see how something that is free and is simple can really change people. And what we're doing next year, this fall, is we have an actual psychology professor at Long Island University who is going to, he's a clinical psychologist, so he has, you know, he treats families. And he's going to treat three of the next families that come to him with a child with anxiety, you know, anxiety diagnosis. He's going to give them, as their therapy, Mm. independence.
1: Wow. That's amazing. I'll be watching that.
2: I mean, isn't that cool? Yeah. I mean, if it works, which I sort of think it will because of all the kids I've seen, if it works, then you have this amazing new opportunity for anybody to start helping their kids feel a little better and more confident, maybe even sell the scheme simply by trusting them to do what kids have always done, which is spend some time without the adults who love them. We love it. We support it. We're all for it. Cool.
1: Yeah. Lenore Skenazy's second edition of Free Range Kids, How Parents and Teachers Can Let Go and Let Grow is out now. And if you want to find out more about Let Grow, you can go to letgrow.org. I'll also put links to the book and to the Let Grow website in our show notes. So... You all can find it. Lenore, this was great. Thanks for talking to us today.
2: Oh, thank you, guys. I feel like we're all on the same, you know, terrifying, exhilarating
0: journey. Let's put it that way. (laughs) We're doing it, friends. Get out there. Thanks so much, Lenore. Thank you.
3: Well, hey there, Busy Mama.